and welcome to the Life 2.0 podcast, a podcast about ordinary people composing a life in times of accelerated change. I'm your host, Bea Spadaccini, and I want to thank you for joining me today. In this episode, you will meet Kristen Arant, a percussionist, a vocalist, a teacher, a mom, and an organizer living in the Washington, D.C. area. Kristen, who's originally from St. Louis, Missouri, is known around the nation's capital as the drum lady. That was Kristen playing and singing with the Bele Bele Rhythm Collective, an intergenerational West African women's drum group from the D.C. metro area that Kristen founded back in 2008 and with whom she performs regularly. I too met Kristen in a drumming class that I took about a year ago and I was immediately blown away by her mastery of the West African drum, specifically the djembe, and her passion for leveraging the power of the drum to create community, heal trauma, and foster positive social change. I was also touched by her struggle to find a more permanent home for hands-on drums, her pop-up store, community space, and arts empowerment initiative. So Kristen, welcome to the Life 2.0 podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So I usually ask my guests uh, on this podcast to think about the verb to compose. And what does this mean to you as a person? How do you make sense of this action verb in terms of your own life's journey as a musician and an artist? It's flow. That's the most simple way that I can put it. It's what happens when energy flow, uh, you become sort of um, your channeling creativity and uh, ideas are forthcoming in the mix. I'm sure that there's some people who will say that um, to compose means to really think about something and to, you know, study on it and um, have something come to fruition after many years of, uh, you know, (laughs) of thinking about it. But for me, it's things that spontaneously happen in a moment, pieces coming together out of, um, mistakes even. Um, and, uh, the meaning of, um, of that moment becoming, or the truth of that moment becoming real, um, when those, uh, those spontaneous pieces come together. It's, it's hard to articulate. As a musician, Kristen has been composing a creative life ever since she started her musical career. However, her journey is anything but linear. When Kristen was a young girl, she experienced a lot of stress due to her father's post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, which manifested in hypervigilance, lack of steady presence, and frequent overreaction to small things. At the age of 13, Kristen was also diagnosed with diabetes. Gradually, she became very depressed and entertained suicidal thoughts. At that time in uh, this country, there was really not this open dialogue that there is now about these things. And um, I didn't really have an outlet until I was 
able to start um, playing the oboe, <laughs> which is an orchestral instrument. And um, I was given the oboe when I was 12, and it when I was diagnosed with diabetes at 13 and all these other things happened, it really, um, I used to practice for three hours a day. Like, I would just be blowing into this thing for like three hours. And I don't know if anyone is familiar with the oboe, but it has a tiny, tiny reed. It's a double reed and it has a very small hole. And when you blow into it, it's it's like your cheeks puff out, you know, like, and, and, you, and you, you know, people get aneurysms sometimes from, from playing the oboe. It's not, it's not a joke, right? Like it's serious. I got better and better at it and it, was a focus for um, the emotions that I was having. And it was also an outlet for them. And it was almost like, you know, whatever I was feeling, I was blowing into the horn and then it was coming out as beautiful music. And I really wanted to sound good on the oboe, which is hard to do. It's the duck in Peter and the Wolf. I mean, people don't associate the oboe with a pretty sound a lot of times. It's, you know, squeaky. It can be, it's very hard to play. So I worked very hard at it and I got really good at it. And um, it got me a music scholarship. The music scholarship took Kristen to Truman State University in northern Missouri, where she found a mentor who took her under her wing and taught her about the healing power of music. By the way, the oboe piece you heard earlier is by Francis Leleu from the album Solo Oboe. While I was there, I had a, a teacher um, when I was an oboe major who really inspired me, Andrea Gullickson, and um, she's in Indiana now, and... The way that she taught me to express myself through the oboe, I have used those teachings even now with the drum. It was a way of releasing fear and anxiety through playing um, that she gave me. And when she left, she left to go to a better job teaching in Wisconsin. And it's really the reason that I transferred schools. So Kristen ends up transferring to the University of Missouri. Like many other college students, she's exposed to different ways of thinking. She also becomes acutely aware of misogyny, racism, and systemic oppression. And this is when the drum comes into the picture. If earlier in Kristen's life, the oboe was an instrument for self-healing, in later years, the drum becomes an instrument for rallying people around causes. Once I started thinking about things that were going on in the world and injustices that were happening, um, I became quite enraged by all of that and wound up becoming a very staunch feminist and so strong in my feminism that even the National Organization for Women was not really radical enough. So I started another organization with some friends called RAW, the Radical Alliance for Women. And all of this started because of watching a movie called Dream Worlds too, which was showing music videos out of context of the music and showing the relationships and the objectification of, of women and the relationships between women and men and how uh, women were treated as objects in the in videos, the music industry in the, music in the videos. videos yeah and then I got my brain expanded and then I took a women's studies class and then I became a feminist and then um, someone gave me a drum when I was in college and doing all this feminist stuff 
I I was also awakened to um, the plight of uh, the double or triple oppression of black women or black lesbians. I mean, basically, the oppression just becomes deeper and deeper as you add each minority status. I took a class on um, uh, black female writers um, and Caribbean women writers. And so reading those books also gave me a a really strong awareness of, um, you know, the history and the situation of, uh, that black women sort of face every day. So I became, um, an advocate at that point as well. So when I received this drum, I started just using it to go out and, you know, um, bring people together for different causes. Um, one was stopping uh, the rape that was going on in the fraternity houses. One was um, stopping the makeup companies from coming on campus and corporatizing campus. It really pissed me off. I mean, it pissed all of us. We were just like, how dare Glamour Corporation come and set up on campus and use, you know, women as fodder, basically our insecurities as fodder for their profits. Profit. Yeah. So like all of these kinds of awarenesses were really happening all at once and it was flooding over me and it was like I could barely even keep up with my studies and I was still a music major, but I added this whole other thing. I added a triple major, journalism, English and women's studies. Kristen started working for the Columbian Missourian newspaper where she deliberately chose the African-American and women's beats. She loved journalism and shed light on important issues affecting women of color, including the challenges of single parenting while managing full-time work. While working for the newspaper, Kristen covered a story that deeply moved her and brought her closer to Africa. It involved the oil company Shell and the Ogoni people, a Nigerian tribe that was denouncing the impact of oil spills on their land. They were led by Ken Sarawiwa and other senior members of the Ogoni tribe. People started to rally on their behalf all over the world. I did a profile of Ken Sarawiwa for the Columbia Missourian. And I still have a copy of it. And um, I talked to his brother in Nigeria. I'll never forget that. And, uh, you know... That was the first time that I had really spoken to a person of, you know, African descent, really. Like, had a conversation with somebody from Africa, not of African descent, but from Africa, about Africa, about what was going on in Africa. And um, I was very young, and I was appalled. So that also came into my consciousness at that time, okay? I think, you know, I don't know if this is all leading, but... The African drum definitely, you know, like, let's just say I had instead been exposed to some kind of Middle Eastern conflict situation and I had covered that. I wonder then if I had more, you know, been drawn to Middle Eastern drumming or something like that, because I began be sort of becoming drawn to African culture through what I learned talking to Ken Sarawiwa's brother about what happened and wondering about the people and how on earth they continued to to move on with their lives. Niger Delta. Yeah. Yeah. So 
you know, that's all just part of, this is all part of my education. And so the drum came with me to um, the protests of um, the Ogani people's land being destroyed and all of the Ogani being hung, um, shell oil protests at the stations with signs and drums. And that was, you know, when I was like 20. I rhyme on a dime and it's so sublime I'm gonna take a little time to tell you why Because I wanna see less violence in society Less fear, less corruption, less hate, less greed I believe we have a choice and true is mine Bringing beats and rhythms and a righteous rhyme Because the hand on the drum means freedom I said the hand on the drum means freedom I said the hand on the drum Speaking of bringing the drum to protest But also bringing the drum where it's needed and I know that you teach in schools, in D.C. public schools. Yeah. What can the drum do for youth? I want you to tell me why in the schools and how can it empower or what do you hope youth get out and how are they in the classes that you teach, in the D.C. especially classes? It's like humbleness and pride combined. They're humble by the story of the drum, which I tell them, to the best of my knowledge, and it's not my own ancestral history. So I tell it from the perspective of um, all the teachers that I've had and what I've learned from them. And the book, uh, A Life for the Djembe, which is by Mamadi Keita, and the stories and history that's in that book, um, they're, they seem humbled by by the, the history of the drum and the, especially, you know, I think um, when they start to play it, um, after they've heard about all of that, they feel the energy um, rising in themselves. And it's a cone of energy that just kind of, it's a swirling kind of energy that goes through all the chakras. It starts at the root and then it goes, you know, spiraling up and it meets all of the different chakras on the way up. And then once it gets to the head, which it's like, you know, up here in the ether, like there is a release of anxiety and tension and anger and depression and, you know, all of the other emotions that are so strong in youth because of the frontal lobes not being attached yet, right? And, and like the creativity that flows from being able to like reach that point of just, you know, release. Um, it creates uh, poetry, they create poetry from, from that energy, they, they create music, they write songs, um, they uh, have just ideas about, you know, creation, and um, they create their own rhythm patterns. They bring out what's inside of them, and their authentic self has a place. It has a safe space to come out and be. I just, I don't know. It's so powerful. I mean, it's life-changing and transformative, and it is like that for adults, too. It's different, you know, because adult learners are a lot more stubborn. They can't help it. Their their frontal lobes are attached, right? Okay. Their 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 patterns are already hardened in the brain. But that is why it's so powerful for them because they're undoing things. They're creating more neurological connections between the right and left halves of their brains. Their their neurons are firing between the halves of the brain. That doesn't happen with anything else. It doesn't because you're you're using both sides of your body to make the patterns, and I, I mean, 
I'm explaining something that sounds very scientific, but you know, in its origins, probably ostensibly, you know, people just felt this, you know, the, the powerful energy that rises up through the body, the release and the connection and the channeling that happens. Tell me the difference between you as a musician, the, what happens when you play the oboe versus what happens when you play the djembe? Because I'm curious about what you were saying when you were young, experiencing trauma, kind of using the oboe as a, almost like therapy, but now and with the jump. Is there any difference? Yeah, the, the oboe was, it gave a melody to my grief. It was very melodic. And I brought the sense of melodic, um, the, the nature of the oboe, which is extraordinarily melodic. I, I brought that to the djembe. I think it was a, a special gift that I could bring to the djembe. So when I teach the technique of the djembe, I'm teaching it so that people can create melody in the patterns. So that they can hear the notes, so that they can work on crafting the notes on the djembe, the, the tone and the slap and the bass and the other notes in between to sound um, like a melody. So that's why in my class we sing the rhythms first before we play them. And that's why we always sing songs. And I believe that there is a connection between, you know, the hands and the brain, which is the voice. I put my roots down into the earth. I put my roots down, down, down into the earth. I put my roots Down into the earth, I put my roots down, down, down into the earth. And if the hands can't get it because the brain is not cooperating, then the voice can can come in and be a translator to the brain and between the brain and the hands. It can chant. It can chant the rhythms, it can chant the melodies, and then the hands will soon be able to fall in and the brain will cooperate. And it's just something that I've experienced as a teacher all these years. I mean, it, it may sound silly, but it's really true. And actually, Baba Tunde Olatunji from Nigeria, you know, many people that I know had studied with him. I never got to meet him, unfortunately, but he had a, mon a mantra, which was, if you can say it, you can play it. There is a language to playing the djembe that the oboe the oboe is like <laughs> tears falling you know it's beautiful and melancholic and when it speaks it cries it cries and it's it's beautiful it sings in a way that's very melancholic the drum speaks in a different way it's authoritative it's assertive it can also be you know gentle and it can be Um, you know, really mystical and in, in the way that it communicates. And all I know is that when I communicate with people by drumming, they are moved. And um, their spirit is moved in such a way that they want to drum or dance. But many people, they want to drum. In 2005, Kristen created the Young Women's Drumming Empowerment Project, a nonprofit organization in the D.C. area that offers summer enrichment programs for urban teen girls ages 8 to 18 years. Through weekly intensives over the course of three months, young women interact with established D.C. female artists, 
who also serve as positive role models and mentors. The nonprofit is a manifestation of Kristen's desire to build community, be of service, and share the healing power of the drum. Kristen met her now husband, Kweku, who is originally from Ghana, in 2009. She eventually traveled to Africa with him, and together they co-founded Drumming Up From Poverty, a Ghana-based NGO that helps street kids find meaningful work through drumming and making artisan drums. In an effort to compose a life together, Kristen and Kweko also started to offer immersive tours to Ghana. This helped to generate a bit more income and build the property there to support artisans in Kweko's village, but it is not a sustainable source of income. You're, you're known as the drum lady, living the life of a drummer in a city like D.C., which is a pretty expensive city to live in. And so composing a life, how do you make ends meet in order to live your dream and to live your purpose, which is also helping others, creating more awareness of issues, but also helping others heal through the drum in this case and helping them maybe become more grounded I have written grants for um, from my teaching. Uh, I've received artist fellowships for my teaching work that I do. And um, we have done a lot of fundraising for our projects in Ghana. And we have been able to sort of, you know, foster um, family-like relationships with the people in our community who give and support when we need it for our projects. But making ends meet is about learning how to ask what I'm worth for when I'm teaching or performing and learning how to almost like do this Robin Hood kind of model where I know there are people that are able to pay more and then there are people that are able to pay less and then there are people who are not able to pay. So basically balancing... Um, the work between all of those, um, knowing that the work is actually transforming everyone, everyone in some way that I'm that I'm working with, whether or not they are from a, a hard, hard, hard place or they're from a privileged place. Everybody is coming sort of closer together, experiencing the connection. So those who are able to will pay more. And that way I can fund, you know, the things that I do that people cannot pay for. Like the Young Women's Drumming Empowerment Project, the girls don't pay for that program. Unless they really can, unless their parents can, they don't pay for it. One of the greatest challenges that Kristen faces today is having a venue where she can offer classes, bring together local artists, and have a retail shop that sells products made in Ghana by artisans affiliated to the Drumming Up From Poverty Project the organization that she and her husband, Kweku, co-founded. Thanks to an artist award from Cultural DC, she had a storefront in Washington, DC for about two and a half years. That space, however, was lost last year to developers eager to maximize profits in the area of DC that is up and coming. Hands on Drums is the name of the space, and it's a pop-up store in a community space that celebrates and supports the work of Ghana craft makers. So we sell all the stuff from Quakers community there while delivering hands-on arts and music experiences to uplift communities. And that's exactly what we did there. We hosted classes and events and had a retail space and an on-site tailor. And we also um, were able to rent the space out. And that 
that helped us a lot. The rentals helped us um, to be able to, you know, um, send more money back to the project in Ghana. Um, to uh, It allowed me to have my nonprofit, the Young Women's Drumming Empowerment Project, had a home, and I didn't have to rent space for it. I didn't have to rent space to teach my classes. Um and it was a way for a place for us to have events and parties and celebrations and uh, things for people to come together as community and connect. Our purpose is not a, a, a for-profit kind of a purpose, but we need a space because of you know all of the work that we're doing and how all of the communities that we bring together are unified in that space for one thing, and then you know they're each benefiting in their own ways and then connections are happening and people are helping each other. And, um, it's also a space that we can offer artists and we can rent out to artists for a very low rate, which is impossible to find anymore. Honestly, I think that the work that we're doing deserves a space and I don't think that we should have to go bankrupt for having it. And I just, that's a dream and it came true once. So I hope it can come true again. Do you have any advice for our listeners who might want to compose a life and want to create a life, a creative life like yours, and how to go about do that, how to not have fear, how to, how to trust their instincts or guts? You know, the, the drum is my tool, and there are, there are folks in my midst that, I've, that have been in my midst for t 10, to 15, 10 to 20 years, I would say. So in other words, students of mine or um, girls that have been part of my project, all the things that open up in these women's lives, the ones that are around long, um, it's beautiful to witness. And I, I think that there's just a manifestation thing that happens when, uh, when, a, when you allow yourself um, to let go of fear and, and drumming makes you let go of fear. It's a portal to other um, types of fearlessness because you can't play it without being loud and you, and you can't play it without being heard. So uh, that's why it's empowering and that's why I call it drumming empowerment. And so, you know, I can't take away your trauma, but I can offer a tool for dealing with it. And I think that most people are walking around with trauma. It's not just um, beautiful, amazing culture and rhythms that go with it. But it's also this extraordinarily healing component that um, I want everyone to know about and to access. And so I'm, I'm going to say words in my class and give exercises that help people to access that piece of what drumming is about. And I think that once they become they get to a place of being able to embody that rhythm, then other things start to happen for people. Dreams start coming true. The African drum keeps Kristen's dreams of having a more permanent venue alive. In between classes, workshops, and performances, she writes grants and explores potential partnerships with local business leaders. While the oboe enabled her to release her pain when she was a young musician, the drum is keeping her focused and fearless. If you happen to be in the Washington, D.C. area and want to take a class with Kristen, you can go to her website, drumlady.com, and see where she's offering her next class. It is an experience that you will not regret. And who knows, it might unlock some of your own dreams 
and help you overcome your fears. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Live2.0pod. That is Life, the number 2.0 pod. Like us also on Facebook. You can subscribe to this podcast via Apple iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.